we started a new series last week called Love, Sex, Kids, and a Life. And I said last Sunday, what I want to repeat to you again today, is that people say, well, is a series like this really appropriate in church? Absolutely. Because it's about relationships. And God is all about relationships. He's about our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. And last Sunday, I leaned on the guys a little bit. Got a little bit of pushback as well from a couple of them. Not real negative, just stuff like, thanks for that, Bubna. I'm never coming back here again. Just stuff like that. <laughs> um, I, I know it was challenging for the guys, but being an equal opportunity pastor, ladies, it's your turn today for me just to lean in on you a little bit to encourage you. Uh, before I do, let me tell you a story. Years ago, I was a young pastor. It was one of the very first couples I married. It may have been the first couple. I don't remember. But uh, they came to me uh, after a few years, and they said, we need to talk. I said, okay. And they came in my office and sat down, and I could tell I'm very perceptive. They were not happy. Uh, There's a couch in my office, and they sat on opposite ends of the couch. You could put like five people between them, and that's how much distance there was. And they both sat there like this, and they had that look on their face, and I could tell, oh boy, this is not going to be fun. I said, well, what's up? You know, what can I do for you? And before I could even get do for ya out of my mouth, he blurted out, you know, this, 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 this marriage thing is tough. He said, our first year was hard. I'm nodding my head, thinking, yeah, you know, welcome to planet Earth. Yeah, marriage is sometimes hard. Second year was really difficult. I'm thinking, well, yeah, it sometimes goes that way. So this last year's just been a killer. And then he pointed his finger at me and says, you never told us how hard marriage it can be. I almost started to laugh. I, I wanted to just go, are you kidding? But I realized, you know what? I probably didn't tell them that marriage sometimes is hard. And you need to hear that this morning if you're engaged or thinking about getting married, or if you've been married for a while and you're still in that life is wonderful and my husband and my wife is awesome stage and you haven't run into any problems yet. Let me just tell you, marriage is hard sometimes. Now, it's not always hard. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's fun. But often, marriage is challenging. And the reason for that is you put a couple of imperfect people together and there's going to be some challenges. The Apostle Paul understood this reality which is why he wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, this amazing verse that I often read to premarital couples. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Woohoo! Can I get an amen? amen? How come the guys are a lot louder on that? I don't understand. Same service, same thing last, I don't know. Thank you. Uh, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Now, Paul was not opposed to marriage. Uh, he was in that chapter encouraging celibacy for those who could stand it. And uh, was kind of addressing the fact that, you know, it, it does distract some from what you could do for the Lord in a marriage. But he was not opposed to marriage. But again, he understood this, that when we uh, become connected to another person for the rest of our lives, there's going to be all sorts of challenges. Now, you already know. You already get this. And every relationship you've ever had. How many of you ever had trouble with your mom or dad? Come on, raise your hand up. You know, we, you know, you've had trouble with your kids. We have tr- trouble with our friends. You know, your best friend sometimes. You want to kill them. This is just life on planet Earth at this time. Sometimes we're stupid. Sometimes we do things that are hurtful and harmful to other people. And so you put two people together in marriage, and they're together 24-7 or a lot. Man, it's just the sparks are going to fly. Paul knew that. And that's what he's saying. Hey, if you're going to get married, just realize what you're getting into. Marriage can be tough. Though that's true, Solomon also wrote this, and this is the good news, Proverbs 18, 22. He who, who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds something that's awesome. 
and in fact finds favor from the Lord. So Solomon said, yeah, he knew marriage was tough, but he knew that it was a gift as well. As I said last week, my primary goal is to help men and women to understand each other better. That's why I did what I did last week. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And my hope is that as you understand each other better, that that will facilitate growth in the midst of your struggles. Guys, we all struggle. Every marriage has struggles. The question is, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to just go through them or grow through them? And even if you're not married, it's anything, man, I should have stayed home. Surely there's a preseason football game on I'm missing right now. Why am I here? Even if you're not married, you know, not married yet or, or never plan on getting married, let me just tell you this. What we're dealing with, understanding the opposite sex, last Sunday's message and today's talk will be helpful to you in all of your relationships because you work with, you know, people of the opposite sex. You have them in your family, in your life. And so I want you to understand that this is something that there's, you can glean from no matter what your marital condition is. One of the things I need you to know before we get too much further into this is that we cannot assume that men need what women need. We can't under, assume that their needs are exactly the same. Ladies, you can't assume that, well, because I need this, that's what he needs. That's not always the case. And so it's important to learn how men and women are different, how they're different, so that we can prepare ourselves to better meet those needs and desires. With that in mind, let's take a look at three things every man wants and needs in a woman. I gave you three last week that, that uh, every woman needs. Today, let's talk about what every man needs. Need number one. Every man desires to be loved unconditionally for who he is, not just what he does. Every man desires to be loved unconditionally for who he is, not just what he does. Now, this may sound familiar. If you were here last week, I identified this as the number one need for women as well. And the truth is, deep within every person on the planet is this longing, this desperate and valid, by the way, desperate and valid longing to be loved unconditionally. We all long for relationships that are not complicated with performance clauses, conditions. We don't want to be in a relationship where they only love us when we do everything right because we know we're not going to do everything right. We don't want to be treated with love and, and, and loved only when we're perfect because we know that's never going to happen. We all want to be loved and valued for who we are, not just what we do. The Bible speaks of different kinds of love. Uh, we have one word in the English language for what the New Testament has several words for. One of the words is eros. And eros is a Greek word which we get erotic from, and it means romantic love. It's sex, part in, in part. It's, it's one kind of love that the Bible addresses and refers to. Another kind of love is phileo, uh, and it means friendship, or it's a, the, the kind of uh, a connection that, that uh, people can have, uh, bonds with others that are friendship love. And then, of course, and I unpacked this last week a little bit, there's agape love. And I gave you this definition. If you missed it last week or if you didn't write it down, you're like, man, I wish I could remember that. Write it down now. Agape love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. That is a really good definition of agape love. It is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. It is sacrificial. It is selfless, even when the other person is unlovely and undeserving of our love. Even when. Now, I had one question asked after one of the services last week, and I realized I, I should have addressed this last Sunday. I'm going to bring it into the light here, and let me be clear about this. Unconditional love doesn't mean that there are no standards or boundaries in our relationships. It doesn't mean that someone can be abusive without consequences. 
It doesn't mean, unconditional love doesn't mean just stomp all over me and treat me like dirt and I'm just going to suck it up buttercup and just let it go. Unconditional love is, is not being in abusive relationships where you're constantly, you know, crushed by someone. But it does mean that you choose to love your husband, if we're talking to the ladies today, but guys, this is true for you as well. But it means you choose to love your husband and do what's best for him regardless of his choices. And here's the part. There's this line, this, is the, this, this delineation you need to understand. Unconditional love is choosing to love someone no matter what. That doesn't mean that you ignore their bad behavior or that they don't have any consequences for their bad behavior. It means that I'm going to love you regardless of the choices you make. See, that's the way God loves you and me. He loves you regardless of the poor choices. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I bet if I did, every one of us could say, uh, I made uh, maybe one or a hundred bad choices this week. We all do that. And aren't you gra- grateful? Aren't you thankful that God's love for you is not based on the fact that you lived the last seven days without air? No, it's regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your sin, regardless of your, your, your failures, God loves you nonetheless. No matter what your choices are, he still loves you. That's the kind of love he wants us to have for each other. 1 John 4, 10, 11. John wrote these words. He said, this is love. Now, when you hear those words, our ears ought to perk up. Oh, what? This, here's a definition. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John says, God chose to love me when I was far from him. I was trapped in darkness and bound by my sin. Another part in this same epistle, 1 John, John says, we love because he, God, first loved us. We have the capacity to love each other because God loved us. We have the capacity to love God because he first. He didn't wait for you to get it all together. He first chose to love you. That's unconditional love. And verse 11 of 1 John 4 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John says, that's the love God has for us, and that's the love we're to have for one another. Unconditional love. I won't spend too much more time on that because I addressed it quite a bit last week. If you missed last Sunday, again, go online and watch that message. But you've got to understand, this is true for all of us. Every human on the planet longs to be loved unconditionally. And when they are, that's when real change can happen. That's when there's the potential for unbelievable transformation. Here's need number two for men. Need number two, sexual fulfillment. Sexual fulfillment. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about sex in the last uh, talk of the series, last week of the series. But it is imperative that women understand that sex is a normal desire and a God-given gift. It is a normal desire. Occasionally I hear women say, oh, my husband wants his sex, 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 sex. And I just smile and go, well, he's normal. (laughs) It's a normal desire, and in fact, it is a God-given gift. A gift, by the way, that God meant for enjoyment in marriage. I am well aware of the fact that I'm about to tread where no man dare go in our culture because our culture has, has normalized sex outside of marriage. We've, we've treated it as recreational activity, no big deal. Everybody does it. You've got to do it. It's fun. What's wrong with it? But that has never been God's plan, and it never will be God's plan. God designed marriage, the covenant of marriage, and the, the, in that covenant, in that context, in that committed relationship, that's where we get to have sex. It's a gift from God. But because it is a gift from God, a lot of men um, have a higher sex drive than their wives, and 
some wives don't completely understand that part of their husband. Robert uh, Bryan once wrote this, and it's a great quote. He says, anyone who believes that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, flunked geography. (laughs) (laughs) Sex is the way to a man's heart, in case you're wondering. Certainly there's far more to most men than just sex, and not all men view sex in the same way. But it is important for women to understand that most husbands do approach sex differently than their wives. And by the way, if you feel like I'm, I'm looking at you, I can't see a thing through these lights. Why does he keep looking at me? I'm not looking at you. Okay, relax. All I see is just images, shadows. But uh, I, I get, you need to understand this. Most husbands do approach sex differently than most wives. Most women, in fact, many women, completely underestimate how important sex is to their husbands. In fact, sometimes they just don't get it. Now, here's the good news. And I, believe me, I've talked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men throughout my 35, 40 years of ministry. Most men are not running around trying to sleep with every woman that they can. Most men truly love their wife and they actually do value. They're passionate about monogamy. They really are. Their fidelity matters to them. I, I, I've never met a guy who was normal or not, you know, had some sanity about him that says, well, that's not important. That doesn't matter. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Fidelity matters to most men. A lady, so does sex. When men marry, they have this belief that their wives will be as interested in sex as they are. And that's not always the case. Now, if that happens to be true in your marriage, God bless you. <laughs> but that's not always the case. And, and in fact, it, it would be more normal for it not to be. And it's a great shock to most men to find out that their bride is not as thrilled about the act as they are. They entered married, marriage prepared for sex and lots of it. Think about it for a moment. I mean, if, especially if you grew up in a Christian home. You've been told, wait, 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 oh, wait, 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 no, no, wait, 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 wait till you're married, wait, 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 and then they get married, and they don't want to wait anymore, and there's all this pin-up passion, and now it's legal. And the whole idea of wait is, is completely removed from a marriage relationship. And yet, at the same time, guys are unprepared for the wife's need for more affection. Gentlemen, I addressed this last week. If you missed last Sunday, man up. Go watch that message online, because you need to hear what I said to you about treating your wife with affection. Because for most women, they want to be comforted and cuddled and, and, and held their hands, and they want to be emotionally connected to you, and they need to, to have you write them romantic love letters and gifts of affection. They need all that from you to help them want sex. For most men, just show up naked, ladies. <laughs> Some of you are going... It's not that complicated for us guys. We're a lot simpler than that. We don't, we don't, it's not that we don't see the value. I hope you do, guys, see the value of all of that other stuff. Affection for your wife. But ladies, you need to understand, for most men, that's a sacrifice of love for them to do that. And that's good. It's a great sacrifice. Ladies, you need to understand and embrace this fact. And it is a fact. Listen carefully. God put you into his life to satisfy his need for sexual fulfillment. That's one of the reasons why he put you there. And his need is probably greater than yours, but it is legitimate nonetheless. And what your husband needs, what he desperately wants is a sexual partner 
who will willingly share her body with him out of love. That's what he wants, and that's what he needs. Believe it or not, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 to 5. Let me read it to you. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Now, obviously, it's talking about sex, but the broader scope in terms of what I talked about last week, part of fulfilling your wife's sexual needs is fulfilling her need for affection. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Some of us guys are going, what? I give up sex for prayer? No way. But Paul is saying, well, you know, that's about the only reason he would give you an excuse to refrain for a season. And then he said this, and this is so important. He said, afterward, after you've prayed, afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And by the way, again, he's writing to both men and women. And more and more in our culture, it's, it, women are just as tempted to have an affair as men in many ways. And Paul's saying, don't go there. And in fact, provide what you're, you were designed to provide for your spouse in marriage to help deal with that temptation. Now, I grew up in a church that emphasized this passage, 1 Corinthians 7, as um, a duty for wives. It's a duty. It is your duty to fulfill your husband's needs. They completely ignored the fact that it talks about guys fulfilling a wife's needs as well. But I always used to think, man, they made it sound like a chore. It's like taking out the garbage. You know, fulfill your duty. Sweep the floor. Give your husband sex. I mean, it's the way it kind of sad it is. Like, it's just this horrible, all right, whatever. But Paul's not dealing with that here. In fact, what he's saying is that God designed marriage to be the place. Listen, he designed marriage to be the place where a man and a woman's sexual needs are met so that no one is unduly tempted. That's why. Let me put it more succinctly. God put you in his, in his life, lady, ladies, to help him deal with the reality of temptation in our, in our culture. We live in a screwed up world. I mean, I, I'm continually amazed and shocked. I guess I shouldn't be. But by just the commercials on television, I thank the Lord that I have a DVR and I rarely watch them. Because they're commercials that I think, what? I mean, seriously? I took my wife and grandson Caleb to the mall Wednesday uh, evening. We had dinner at Azteca, and, and Caleb loves to run up and down the mall. And he's pretty well behaved, but he just loves. And he'd rather do that than go play in the play area. And so we're walking, you know. And it's like everywhere you turn in the mall, there's giant naked women you know, plastered on the windows in sexual poses or dress or barely dressed at all. Ladies, do you think that might affect guys just a little? Yeah. You can't drive down the street without seeing billboards. And don't even get me started about the Internet. Men face this, and because they're more typically more driven by sexual desires than you are, they have to have a release from temptation. And I'm encouraging you to understand that your husband depends on you to be his partner in his battle against sexual temptation. He needs you. He needs you. And here's the cool thing. You're the only woman in the world that your husband can look at sexually without compromising his integrity or purity. 
Isn't that awesome? You're the only woman in the world that he can look at completely naked and go, woo And this is, this is okay. This is glorious. Thank you, Jesus. He can literally say that about your nakedness because that's the gift that God gave him through you. Remember, God created sex for marriage. And ladies, you are the only one who can rightfully give your husband that gift. Now, I want you to understand, I know that there are times in your marriage when you may simply choose to give that gift, even though you may not feel like doing so. But please don't see it just as this obligation or duty, because that attitude, that negative attitude, will affect your relationship. See it as a gift. I, I have this belief, I truly do, and this has been my prayer all week long, God opened the eyes of the ladies in our church, the wives in our church, to see that this is a gift. And if you understand that this is like, oh, He's always wanting sex. But if you see it instead as, wow, I have this opportunity. I have this gift from God that I actually can give to my husband as a gift to him. I think it'll change the way your perspective, the way you see this. You need to understand, ladies, understand that your husband has a higher sex drive than you probably do. And God wants you, listen, he wants you to meet that need in a way that only you can and should And that's awesome. What a gift. Now you also need to know this. That for him, intimacy is spelled S-E-X. Now I know for you, again we addressed it last week, that intimacy for you is spelled A-F-F-E-C-T-I-O-N, affection. That's, That's intimacy for you. But for him, it's primarily physical. And that's where he experiences intimacy. You think, well, I don't get that. That's not intimacy for me. I know you don't get it. That's okay. Accept this. Reality, truth. It is intimacy for him. Did you know that you, when you give him the physical intimacy he desires, you have sex with him, that it actually produces a chemical in his body, oxytocin, that helps him emotionally bond with you? Side note, one of the reasons why God doesn't want to sleep around with every Tom, Dick, and Harry or Mary, Kim, and... Bonnie in the, in the neighborhood is because there's an emotional bond that happens every time. And God intended for that emotional bond to happen with your spouse in a monogamous relationship for life. And that's why, don't get me started, but that's why. That's, and there is this release. And so ladies, when he has sex with you, there is this release in his system, a, a chemical release that actually creates a bond in his mind and art with you. And that bond is good. That's the bond you want him to have. In fact, often that bond will help him become more of the man that will meet the emotional needs that you have. All right, one last thing and I'll move on. Boy, you guys want me to move on. One last thing that will be helpful for you to understand. When um, you say no, you know, as, as, as much as men want sex, they also hate rejection. And when you say not tonight and you just turn over and turn off the light, basically what it says to him is, I'm not interested in you. And I know you don't get this. I know this is like, I don't, that's not what I said. We are far more emotionally fragile than you believe. And that no, without an explanation, just explain, honey, not tonight because can we, and, and how about 12 hours from now? Can we make an appointment? You know, I mean, there are, but when you just say no and you just literally cut him off, that communicates rejection, which messes with his confidence and with his self-esteem. And that's not the kind of guy you want running around in a culture like this. 
You want him to, to, to be enthralled with you and passionate about you. So make sure that when you do say no, and sometimes that will happen, that you gently discuss it with him and explain the why. All right, let's move on. Boy, it's time. Need number three, last one. Define recreational enjoyment with his wife. Recreational companionship. You know, contrary to popular belief that men would rather just be with the guys for recreation, uh, they really do have a longing to experience uh, recreational companionship uh, with their wife and even with their daughters. My wife, when she was uh, a little girl, um, played softball with her daddy all the time. Uh, she has three sisters, so my father-in-law had four daughters, God bless them. And um, they're amazing women. They all love their daddy. But Laura was by far the closest one to her dad. You know why? Because she experienced recreational companionship with her father. She was the one who was the tomboy, you know, liked to work in the yard with him, liked to throw softball with him. She could throw a mean softball, too. But so that's why, because that's, that, we long for that. We, we want that. Now, m- m- my wife and I, we love to hike. We love to take long walks together. And that's the thing that we do, that we experience, that fulfills me. I love, I look forward to taking long walks, hiking with her. It's something I really enjoy. But here's the thing I've noticed. Often when dating, women show interest in their boyfriend's recreational activities. And then soon after they get married, they just kind of, you know, they let it go. They don't, they lose interest. And they stop participating. And this not only creates some disappointment in the guy, but it also loses this great opportunity for time and personal investment, time invested together. Guys should have guy friends. Ladies, you should have lady friends. That's, that's awesome. But here's something. I'm going to make a statement here that might push a few buttons, but I truly believe this, believe this with all my heart. I think the wife should be her husband's best friend. And I think best friends recreate together. Now, he can have other best friends, but I think you need to be one of his, if not his, best friend. And best friends recreate together. Think about your other best friends. I bet you do things. You bowl, you fish, you hunt, you ride motorcycles, you do whatever. Those are things you do together, and that's where friendships are developed and fostered and grown and cared for. And that's what God wants in your marriage. And that's what guys need. They want recreational companionship. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to love everything he loves. doesn't mean that you have to do everything he does. If he's a football fan- fanatic and you can barely pull him away from the NFL network, and you think, man, if I watch one more football game, I'm going to kill him. I'm not saying you've got to do that, but you can find, work together to find something that you can do together as a couple. I, I used to love to run. I ran quite a bit. My knees and my back started going out, and I haven't run in a long time. But I've run a couple of marathons. I used to run 45 minutes an hour, five, six days a week. And I did that for decades. And I, early on, I tried to get Laura. Honey, why don't you come run with me? Honey, I'll buy you great shoes. Why don't you go run? I'd love for you to run with me. My wife hates to run. The furthest she ever run was about a half mile in high school just to get the physical fitness test done. And she, and she hated that. She hates to run. So me saying, come run with me, was not going to happen. But you know what? We, we talked about it, and we figured out, you know what we can do? She rides a bike. She would ride a bike right along next to me, and I would run. And it was awesome for me, because guess what? When the dogs came out, they went after the bike, not me. <laughs> Kidding. I had the spray. But anyhow, we would spend these, these hours together. And here's the, my point. Mutual appeal is the key. Mutual satisfaction. So give some time. 
Think about it. Talk about it. Choose some activities that you can both enjoy together. And I promise you, if you work at it, you'll find something that you could be a recreational companion with each other together. A word of caution, and I'm about to start to wrap this up. Um, I have noticed, in fact, as I was writing this talk, I thought about another couple that I love very much, who uh, the guy started spending a lot of recreational time with a coworker, a woman, and it ended up a mess. And it was not pretty. It was not good. And part of it is because there is this bonding. Again, you may not completely understand it, ladies, but trust me, the way us, we guys are, are wired, there is this thing that happens when we hang out together, when we do fun things together besides sex. We have this bond that's created. And if you let that get developed with somebody, you know, besides you, that's of the opposite sex, which, by the way, guys, that's just stupid. Don't go there. Just don't go there. But it's important. It's an important emotional need for men. And I'm encouraging you, be the one who meets that first and foremost in his life. There are other needs, other things like admiration and support. But for the sake of time, let me wrap this up with one final challenge and admonition to the ladies. The husband that you have, the man that you married, is far from perfect. He knows that. You figured that out long before he did. He is. He's far from perfect. And he's never going to be. On this side of eternity, he's never going to be perfect. Hopefully he'll grow and change and develop. But trust me when I say this, we are all works in progress, in process. He has lots of opportunities to grow, and to grow spiritually and to grow personally. But here's what I want you to hear today. I'm going to wrap up with this. You have the power, more power than you realize, to affect him, to help him become the man that you want him to become. And it has a lot to do with what you focus on and with your words. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, 8. Some of you know this verse. You're familiar with it. Some of you, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. Paul is dealing with all relationships, but this absolutely applies in our marriage. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, Paul's like, find something. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is saying we choose where we put our focus. And by nature, most of us humans are fairly pessimistic and negative. Not all. Some are happy sunshine all the time. But a lot of us, we tend to look at the glass half empty, not half full. A lot of us, we see problems with our politics and problems with our nation and problems with our church and problems with our spouse, and, and we get focused on the problems. And that's what we talk about. That's what we land on. That's what we focus on. And Paul gave us this admonition. And this is not the only place in the Scriptures we're challenged to focus on something good and godly. He says, you choose what you're going to focus on. And here's my point, ladies, and here's what I want you to hear today. You have the opportunity to focus on something anything. Find one or two things that you can focus on in your husband that's good, that's awesome, that's godly, that is really something valuable. And focus on that and thank him for that. Praise him for that. Thank God for that. And watch how when you focus there that that creates in him this desire to want to be more like that, more the husband that you long for. You see, most guys, and I, in fact, I could say all guys, but I'll just say most to be safe, don't respond very well to nagging. We don't like the critical, you know, why are you always doing this? And you're so, I can't believe you. You're always that. 
That kind of stuff tends to just get us focused on the negative stuff in you, and we get frustrated, and we give up. But you have this power. Women, listen to me. You have this power to speak life into your husband. I mentioned last week that about five years into our marriage, about 34 years ago, I walked away from God. I walked away from the church. I walked away from my family. I walked away from my wife. I told her I wanted a divorce. God worked miraculously intervened in my life. You know, I wrote about it in my book, Epic Grace. He just did these things that, that he brought me home. And I, there was one night in the fall where I knew, I made a conscious choice. Okay, Lord, I'm coming home to you and to my family. But what you need to know is it took months, not just a day or two or a week, but months and months and months for me to deal with some of the garbage that I had started, some of the things that I'd gotten myself into. It took a long time for God to heal our marriage and to heal me. In fact, it was early fall that I made the decision to come back to the Lord and come back to my wife. At the Christmas party, I worked for a Great Western Savings. At the Christmas party that year, I got so drunk, I flirted with every woman in the place right in front of my wife, and I was so drunk she had to drive home. Do you think that made my wife happy? No, it did not. But you know, to her credit, and, and I will always be indebted to her. Because not one time, not one time, did she throw my sin in my face. Not once. Lots of stuff she could have nailed me for. Lots of stuff she could have accused me of. Lots of bitter, ugly, horrible things she had every right to say to me because they were all true. But instead, you know what I heard from my wife? Time and time and time again. I know you're better than that. I believe in you. I know you can do better. <sighs> Ladies, listen. When guys hear that from you, rather than what they do is they go, they respond. They want to become that man that you see them. The potential you see is the very person they want to become. Your words have power. Bow heads. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this institution that you created called marriage that is hard, pushes our buttons, creates all sorts of tension. It would be so much easier just to be alone and to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. But God, we would miss so much of the companionship and the partnership and the support and the encouragement that you intended marriage to be. And God, we would not become the people you meant us to be. I, 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 I know it's possible, the Holy Spirit, you can do anything you want through anybody, but I know that my wife has been this great teacher, that you've used her, and that you've used me in her life, and that we are in many ways what we are because of the marriage that we have. Good, bad, and ugly, Lord, it's because of you that we are changing and growing. And I pray, Lord, I know that some of what I've done has stirred up some things in women, perhaps some painful memories, perhaps some abuse, God, I don't want that. I, pr I pray for them, that you would heal them. Lord, if anything I said today brought this pain that's there, it, it ripped a bandaid off or, or a scab off their heart, then God, my prayer is heal them. Heal these ladies. But God, heal our marriages too. And help us to become the men and the women that you want us to be. Help us to see the gift that we have, that we can be to our spouse. 
And I pray for the ladies today, especially, Lord, as I prayed for the men last week. God, empower them by your spirit to do what they couldn't do on their own, but by your spirit, by you, in you, all things are possible. Help them. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. In every one of our services, we give people the opportunity to say yes to God because that's why we exist. That's why we're here. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, I, I didn't know the church and God cared about things like sex and marriage. And I, I, didn't, I didn't understand. Maybe you're here and you're realizing you've got all this baggage and pain in your life. And today, something in you just understands I need God. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. And today you're ready to say yes to him. You've just come to that point where you're ready to surrender your life. If that's you, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, but I want to pray right now. And I'm going to pray this simple prayer. I'm going to ask you just to make my words yours right now. You just own this prayer. Make these, these words your heart to God. God, forgive me. I have sinned. I have failed. I've got my own way, and I need you. And I confess that I need grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And right here, right now, today, I make a decision to say yes to you. I've goobered my life up pretty good, Lord. And if you can, if you can redeem me, if you can restore me, if you can renew my life, then that's the God I want. That's the God I need. And I'm going to follow you, Jesus, from here to eternity. I'm yours. Today. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Now, if that's your desire and that your heart, just in your own way, say, yes, that's me. That's what I want. The Bible says that instant you say yes to him, then you become that child of his forever. It's the beginning of a journey that will take you throughout the rest of your life and on into eternity. But today, it's the beginning for you. Lord, seal that in their hearts. Show them what you're doing. But for all of us, Lord, work in our hearts today to make us more like you. I pray that in Jesus' amazing name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish one last song. Uh, we do this as an opportunity to worship. Part of our worship is we give. If you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. But if this is your church home, you give to support what God is doing here. And give as an act of love and worship. Now you can drop those communication cards, prayer requests in the buckets as well. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. I love you guys. You're awesome. Hey, I love you too. And I am glad that you came today. Uh, I pray that your heart got stretched, that um, you offer some grace to me if I pushed a few buttons, but that you'll really open your heart to let Jesus do what he wants to do. And if you sang that song today for the first time because you made a decision today to become a Christ follower and those words were true for you, man, we want to walk with you. We want to journey in this uh, thing called the Christian faith with you. And on the door, uh, on the tables by the doors, there's a packet. It's for new believers. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started and walk with Jesus. It's got a sticker on the front that talks about our Next Steps class, which is coming up in September. That's the class designed especially for you. But I encourage you, pick one of those, those uh, packets up. Let people know. Please let me know. We want to walk with you and, and celebrate with you what God's done. My... Uh, Hope for you is you leave today. If you need prayer, you'll come down front for the prayer team. That if you need communion, that's available on both sides of the room as well. But I said something last week I want to remind you of. We get this opportunity as Christ followers to be light in the midst of a very dark world. That God put us on this planet so that when people look at you, they go, wow, there must be a God. And they, God wants them to look at your marriage. And it, they won't see a perfect marriage. If they do, they're not seeing what's really happening. But what they ought to see is grace and goodness and growth. And they ought to look at you and say, wow, 
There must be a God, and I want to know that God. My prayer for you, my benediction, is go be that kind of light in the midst of darkness this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.